There's a war going on. It's an invisible war. It's a spiritual war. It's a war between God and Satan. And it's a war that's been going on for a very long time. The war started when the anointed cherub, Lucifer, rebelled against God. This angelic being who was created perfect in beauty and was basically second in God's creation to God himself, set his will against God's will. In Isaiah 14, we learn that six times this angelic being said, I will. And the last time when he said, I will, he said, I will make myself like the most high God. This war first manifested itself in human history in the Garden of Eden. There, Satan, in the form of a serpent, used our original parents, Adam and Eve, to set their will against God's will. And that war that began in the Garden of Eden has continued throughout history, and it will continue until we come to that time when Jesus Christ comes back to earth and he reigns on earth for a thousand years. And it says at the very end of that reign in Revelation 20 verse 10 that the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire in brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's future. But for now, the war still is taking place. And the writers of scripture knew that. Peter in 1 Peter 5, 8, when he addresses his readers, speaks of the fact that they are to be sober spirit and that they are be, be on the alert. Why? Because they have an adversary. And that adversary is none other than the devil. And he prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. James understood about this war. James in chapter 4 verse 7 told his readers that they need to submit themselves to God, place themselves under God's authority, and then resist the devil. And James says if you do that, the devil will flee. John, the apostle, the one who's called that beloved disciple, he was aware of the spiritual war also. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, he talks about the whole world, the world system that's headed by Satan, that's made up of unbelievers, that has values and beliefs that leave God out. That whole system lies in the lap of the evil one. That is the devil. The writers of scripture were well aware that a war was going on. Paul especially was aware of this war that's going on. He was aware of spiritual warfare. The devil buffeted him 
The devil thwarted him. The devil opposed him. And Paul, while he was in a prison, under the influence and guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit, writes the greatest passage in all of the Bible on spiritual warfare. And that's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Paul not only writes to let us know that a war is taking place, but he's letting the Christians know, the believers know, that they don't have to be a casualty of the war, that they can be victorious in the midst of this war. So today I want to start a series dealing with spiritual warfare. I want us to look at verses 10 through 20 of Ephesians 6. And I'm going to take my time going through this because I really am of the opinion and the belief that many times we are not aware of the fact that this spiritual war is actually going on. And unfortunately, there's a lot of insanity going on when it comes to spiritual warfare. A lot of crazy things being passed off as far as what Christians are to do when it comes to this spiritual war. So I'm hoping to answer questions like, am I to bind Satan? Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Are there such things as territorial spirits? Do I need to rid my home of demons? When I buy a new home, do I need to invite the pastor to come in and sprinkle water and pray prayers to get rid of the demons? In Fairview, are we to have a deliverance ministry? But that's really not directly what Paul is speaking of in this passage. Paul's emphasis, and the emphasis that I want to maintain, is he wants us to understand spiritual warfare. He wants us to know what thus saith the Lord about this war that's been going on for year after year after year and will continue into the future. That's what I want us to do. I want us to be informed biblically about spiritual warfare. And so this morning, we'll look at part of verses 10 through 13 from the subject, there's a war going on. And it seems like the Christian church somehow, some way, has forgotten that reality. We used to sing, I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. But now the world is our home. The world is a playground. We don't see it as a battlefield. I can remember songs that asked the question, am I a soldier of the cross? We often don't talk that way and sing in that way and address that particular matter. And I fondly remember when I was younger, I don't know if I was genuinely saved or not, but I can remember in our churches, we used to sing onward, Christian 
soldiers. We, we, we recognize that a spiritual battle, a spiritual war was going on. And the songs that we sung and the songs that we listened to reminded of us of that truth. And I can remember in churches that I grew up where the ushers would march around and drop their money in the offering tray. And the song that they, the music that they would march to was We Are Soldiers in the Army. The song was taken out of context But there's a biblical truth there. We are soldiers in the army. So we need to keep before us that there is a war going on. There are things that we don't quite understand and fathom unless we understand that reality. And if you think there is no war going on, then just take a look around We see this spiritual war is happening in our personal lives. We see casualties of those who once were faithful to the Lord and now are on the sidelines. We see the battle in our homes, in our marriages, and even in our communities. When we try to explain what's going on, we have to recognize that there's a war going on between God and Satan. And and Paul makes sure that he alerts his readers to this spiritual war that is taking place. And he tells us how we must live in light of that fact. The war requires that believers be spiritually strengthened. The soldiers in God's army must be spiritually strong. And let me just remind you of verse 10. Please look at that verse with me, Ephesians 6, 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That opening word, finally, highlights the significance of being spiritually strong. What Paul is doing with that word is letting us know he's coming to the last section of the book of Ephesians. Now I realize we haven't gone through this book as a church. Uh, Some of you with a former pastor have, but he's coming to the final section. Uh, Early in my Christian life, I received a book that was written by this woman named Ruth Paxson. And the title of the book provides an excellent outline of Ephesians. The book was titled, The Wealth, The Walk, and The Warfare of the Christian. The Wealth, Walk, and Warfare of the Christian. That is an outline of Ephesians. And if we were to tweak Ephesians, uh, that outline just a little bit, we would find in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul talks about the wealth of the Christian, of the church. He talks about who we are in Christ and what we have in Jesus Christ. And he begins by saying we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We're a blessed people. And Paul talks about those blessings. But when you get to chapter four, he says in light of that, 
Uh, There's a certain way you ought to walk that measures up to your wealth. So he talks about the walk of the church, the walk of Christians, how they're to walk in unity. They're to be united. How to walk in holiness and in love, etc. But when he gets to chapter 6, verse 10, he says, finally, and he introduces the last section. And that last section is the warfare of the Christian. And some have taken that outline and referred to it as the blessings, the behavior, In the battle of the Christian are the calling, the conduct, and the conflict of the Christian. But with that word finally, the significance of it is that it's introducing the last section. Paul is letting us know that we're coming to a section that deals with warfare. It deals with conflict. It deals with the battle. And it's important to keep things in order. In light of our blessings in Christ, we are to live a certain way. We are to behave a certain way. But you better bet your last dollar that as you seek to behave in light of your blessings, it will be a battle. There will be a conflict. There will be a struggle. And so Paul methodically goes through this book and says, yes, I want you to know all that you have in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know how you are to walk. But I also want you to understand it won't be easy to walk in light of your blessings and your riches and your wealth in Jesus Christ. And the reason why is because there is a war going on. The words, be strong, a summons, is a summons to be spiritually strengthened. Paul said, be strong. It could be the idea of become strong. Uh, it's clear that it is a command. Uh, this is not optional. This is not debatable. This is not his opinion. He is saying to these Christians in light of the fact that a war is going on, that you must be strong. You must be spiritually strengthened. Those who are spiritually weak, those who are spiritually incapable of standing up are in trouble when it comes to the battlefield. Paul is saying, be strong, become strong. Strengthen is the goal of every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a call to battle when he says be strong. Some of you might automatically be thinking about what was said to Joshua in chapter 1 when Joshua had the awesome responsibility to take over from Moses. Moses had died, and God was now giving Joshua instruction. And on three separate occasions in chapter 1 of Joshua 1, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. I'm going to be with you, Joshua, as you seek to go into the promised land. 
Understand that you need to be strong and courageous, that you should not be discouraged because the Lord your God is with you, Joshua. And it's as if Paul is saying, okay, I want us to understand that the Christian life is not a playground, but it's a a place of battle. Paul has just said at the end of Ephesians 6, no, in Ephesians 5, he's talking about the fact that husbands are to love their wives, that wives are to submit to their husbands. Can I get an amen? Let me go on. That's a battlefield. Uh, wives submitting to their children. And parents have responsibilities. Masters and servants are to relate to each other. But the important thing to realize is as Paul is moving from the home, he's now talking about the battlefield. That in order for all of those things to be happening, that we're going to face conflict. You think Satan is going to allow our Christian marriages to be successful? You think Satan is going to allow the relationship between a husband and a wife to picture the relationship between Christ and the church? You think he's just going to step back with his demonic beings and say, hey, I'm not going to touch that. No. He's going to seek to destroy and devour marriages. He's going to seek to destroy and devour the relationships between parents and children, between employers and employees. My friends, we need to understand, we got to remove the blinders from our eyes and get our head out of the sand to understand that a war is going on. And Satan and his demonic beings are going to do all that they can to devour Christians, to cause Christians to fail at what God wants them to be. And so Paul said, be strong, become strong. He's not saying you can do this in your own ability, in your own strength. It's really that you need to be strengthened. You need to go to God and, and, and have God enable you and strengthen you, make you powerful. You need to be in power for this war that you and I as Christians find ourselves in. Be strong. Be strong. It's a summons to be spiritually strengthened. But as we continue looking at that verse, Paul adds a couple of phrases. And with those phrases, he's letting us know that the sphere or the realm of our strength is in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That the arena, so to speak, where I'm to manifest the fact that I'm strong, that God has made me strong, is in my relationship to Christ and also my relationship to Christ's power. So when he says, be strong, become strong, be strengthened in the Lord, He's saying that the source of our strength, the source of our power is none other than the person of Christ. If you don't have a strong, healthy, vital 
relationship with Christ, you will never, ever be strong. And so he's saying that the war requires that we be strengthened in regard to Christ's person. He says, become strong in the Lord. That's a marvelous phrase. In the Lord, in Christ. It speaks of what theologians refer to as union with Christ. That when we get saved, we are in union with Christ. And there's so many benefits, so many blessings because of the fact that we're in Christ. Earlier in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6, Paul speaks of his readers, how they used to be dead in trespasses and sins. But because of God's great mercy and God's love, he says they got saved, but he doesn't put it that way. He says that they were made alive together with Christ. That means we used to be dead as a doorknob spiritually. But God intervened in our life and he saved us. And when he saved us, he made us alive together with Christ. And if that's not enough, and that is wonderful to know that I'm spiritually alive, but he goes on to say that I've been raised up together with Christ. Think of that picture. I I, I used to be in the spiritual casket. I was dead. But I was made alive. God saved me. And I came out of the casket. And I was made alive together with Christ. And I'm raised up together with Christ. In fact, Paul goes on to say that I'm seated with Christ together with him because of the fact that I'm in Christ Jesus. If you don't understand this phrase, in Christ, in the Lord, in Christ Jesus, you're missing out on so much help and strength that God wants to give you when it comes to your walk with him. If you want to be strong, you got to be strong and strengthened in the person of Christ. you got to really come to understand and realize all that you have all that you are in Christ Jesus. Just read Ephesians. Paul talks about being in Christ. But the war also demands that believers be strengthened with regards to Christ's power. Not just in regards to his person, being in Christ, but also be strengthened with regards to Christ's power. Paul ends the verse by saying that we are to be strong in the strength of Christ's might. Ephesians is a power book, so to speak. It talks about power. In chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, it talks about the power of God that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God. That took God's power. In chapter 2, Paul talks about how we were dead in trespasses and sin, but made alive in Christ Jesus. That was the power of God. In chapter 3, at the end, when Paul prays, he prays this wonderful prayer. 
And he says in that prayer, to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we might ask or think according to the power that is in us, the the power of God that can accomplish what we can only think or imagine. That's how powerful God is. And what's true of God's power is true of Christ's power. When we come to verse 10 and Paul uses the term might and strength, those are the same terms used of God's power. And so if we're going to be spiritually strong, we have to tap into, we have to rely upon the power of Christ, upon his mighty power that can do beyond what we can even imagine or think. Paul's command, become strong, has nothing at all to do with our personal strength and ability in what we are to do. We are simply to make sure that we are at the disposal of God, the the one who is the source of power and strength so that we can become strong and we must, we must, we must be strong in light of the fact that a war is going on. The second thing and the final thing that I really want us to see today is found in verse 11. We have seen that the war requires that believers be spiritually strengthened. But the war demands also that believers be spiritually armed. Not with physical guns, not with a six-pack, not with big biceps, but spiritually armed. And that's what Paul says in verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. devil. And so we see this order, this command, this mandate to be spiritually armed. This is not to be taken passively. This is not to be taken in a way, am I going to pray about it? Am I going to do it? This is the command, and failure to do it is sin. And we need God's grace and God's enablement so that we might obey the order to be spiritually armed. Paul says to his readers, and he says to us, put on. Those words can be used to put on clothes literally or to put on clothes figuratively. He's not speaking literally. He's not saying go find some clothes and put them on as if somehow that will prepare you and equip you for the battle. No, he's speaking figuratively. He's speaking the same way that he did in chapter 4, verse 24, when he says, put on the new person, the new man, the new self. Put that on. 
But here in our text, he's not saying directly put on the new self. He's saying put on the full armor of God. So we know he's speaking figuratively. He's not saying that there's somewhere, there's some place that you can find this armor and you need to make sure you go into the closet where you can find it and put it on. No, he's speaking figuratively. And he's letting us know that it's not enough to have access to the full armor of God. It's not enough to say, oh, there it is in my spiritual closet. The the full armor of God. I've got it. I just don't wear it. But there it is. No, it's not enough to do that. It has to be put on. And not only put on, but kept on. So, So Paul is not thinking about putting it on for a moment and then taking it off, then putting it back on and taking it off. No, you keep it on. Why? Because... There's a war going on, and the war does not stop. The war does not cease, and so the armor must be kept on. Now, you know that's not a wise thing to do with your regular clothes. Some people take traveling light to the extreme. I remember when I used to work at TRW, and there was a, went to this conference with one of the fellow workers. And he took traveling light to mean just that. He had one pair of pants for a four-day conference. And by the end of the conference, he had on different stuff on his pants that was a reflection uh, that he needed to change his pants. And so Paul is saying, keep this armor on. It it won't get dirty. It won't get defiled. Uh, It is to be kept on. And the clothes that are to be put on and kept on, he describes as the full armor of God. The full armor. And when it says full armor, that's really just one word in the Greek. It's the complete armor. Paul is not suggesting that you pick and choose what pieces of God's armor to put on. That's not the command. The command is put on the full armor. And he's going to talk more about that in this section on spiritual warfare. But the emphasis is not on identifying the pieces of armor to wear. Some people think it's important to know the breastplate. No, the, no the, the helmet of salvation and the sword and, and the shoes. That's not what this is about. This is not trying to find literal armor. This is about the armor that's identified in verses 14 through 17 as truth, righteousness, gospel, faith, the spirit, the word of God, salvation. That's what he's saying. Make that a part of your life, all of it, and not just what you want to choose. Put on the full armor of God. 
And we will take time to look at each one of those pieces of the armor of God because it's not just enough to have one piece, but we must have all of the pieces of the full armor of God. And God wants us to wear the complete outfit, the complete armor. He wants us to be spiritually armed with the whole armor of God. But don't miss out on the objective of being spiritually armed. The objective, that's the last part of verse 11. Paul says that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That's a mouthful there. But the goal, the objective, the reason why I put on God's full armor is because when it comes to this war that's going on, God wants me to stand. And he wants me to stand firm. And that's important to remember that that's the goal. The goal is not to run. The goal is not to attack. The goal is to stand firm, to be rock solid, so that when Satan comes and his demonic beings attack, whether that's through temptation or whatever it might be, when that happens, we are not fleeing, we are not running, but we are standing firm. And so he says, that's the goal, spiritual stability, not wavering, not waffling, not falling, not, no, we're down in the dust, but spiritually firm and spiritually strong. Paul says, I want you to be spiritually armed. That's the only way that you're going to be able to stand. That's the only way that you're going to be able to to resist, as they'll say later on. James says a similar thing. James says, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Okay, here Paul is saying, when you're being attacked, and you will be attacked, make sure, make sure that you are spiritually armed. Don't let Satan and his demonic beings catch you with the armor off, that's a disaster. It's important to note that at the end of verse 11, Paul mentions the schemes of the devil. The devil is a real angelic being. He's a fallen angel, he's an evil angel, but he's real. And the devil has intellect. He's got smarts. He's got methods and plans and schemes and strategies to get the people of God to fall and to fail. And it's important that we understand this about the devil. That's what makes this battle so important. Is that the devil is not just 
standing back and saying, I'm not concerned about what you Christians do. No, the devil says, I want to devour you. And if I can't devour you, maybe I can devour a member in your family. Do do you ever realize that? Even though the devil might not be able to get to you, he, he wants to get to members of your family. He wants to get to your loved ones. He wants to eat them up. He wants them to stay away from their faith in Christ. He wants them to leave the church. Please don't be deluded into thinking that we have this devil and he doesn't care about us. The devil hates you. And he will do all that he can to wipe you out spiritually. And and Paul is saying, you need to be spiritually armed so that you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And, And the devil has many plans, many schemes that he works. He's skilled at what he does. He's been doing it. Ever since the Garden of Eden, he knows mankind. He knows what to do to get you to fall and get me to fall. And so we have to be able to say, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. Can you say that? Are you aware of what Satan wants to do in your life, the the, the methods, the plans that he's operating and using to wipe you out? Paul says, we're not ignorant, but I think we are ignorant. We're unaware, we don't study his schemes, his methods. He comes after us sometimes the same old way and we fall for it every time. Some of us are like a house. We got the front door barred and wired and alarm is handling it. We got the windows taken care of. And we've done everything except we haven't done anything with the back door. And we think we're secure and Satan is wise enough. He ain't coming through the front door. He's not coming through the window. He's coming through the back door. That's his operation. That's his methodology. He's got enough sense to do that. We got to be aware of his strategies. We got to be aware of his scheme that are pointed out in the Bible. Study the human beings, the people who walk with God, and how Satan got them to fall. One of the schemes that Satan uses, he, he just lets you see something enticing. That's what he did with David, man after God's own heart. Let him see Bathsheba. Let him see more than he wanted to see. That wasn't his goal, that wasn't his intent, but that's what Satan does. And some of you have computers, and you're using your computers in the right way, trying to honor the Lord, etc., and somebody sends you a link that's a good link, and lo and behold, you look at that link, a whole bunch of other mess comes, and then you're struggling with sin. Don't be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. 
as I close, let me just remind you, there's a good book. It's written by a Puritan. I'm not a fan of all Puritans, but this book is a good book. It's called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Satan, as Paul says here, has strategies. He has methodology. He has plans. And there's precious remedies against those devices and plans of Satan. One of Satan's devices is that he presents the bait and hides the hook. Presents the bait. Oh, this sin looks good. You bite into it and you encounter the hook. He paints sin in beautiful colors. Have you noticed how attractive sin is? How appealing sin is? Now, sometimes in these TV commercials, they try to show you the danger of smoking. They don't put some glamorous person smoking cigarettes and life is in full health. They show a person who's lost their voice, had surgery, and had to speak through a speaker in their voice because of throat cancer. Satan doesn't want you to see the throat cancer. He wants you to see the glamour. And so you got to be aware of his devices. Satan says, sin is no big deal. Let this guy talk all he wants about there's a war going on. I'm going home sleeping. Watch the Lakers, watch the Clippers, whatever. Sin's no big deal. And Satan wants to dupe us into thinking that this war going on is just some mythical fantasy that is happening. But there's a war going on, my friends. And Satan and his demonic beings and forces wants to wipe out each and every one of us. And so in light of this war, it's required that we be spiritually strengthened. That the source of our strength is Christ's person and Christ's power. Get to know and realize and understand who you are in Jesus Christ. Satan wants you to forget about all that is yours in Christ. If we're going to stand in this war that's going on, we got to be spiritually armed. We have to put on the full armor of God and keep it on. If we're going to be able to stand And some of us aren't doing too good standing. We're wobbling. We're falling. We're laying down. We're groveling in the dirt of sin, the mud of sin, because we refuse to pay attention to the devices, the schemes, the strategies of the arch enemy of your soul. He thought he could get our Savior to sin, but he was unsuccessful. And so he seeks the next best possible thing to get the followers of the Savior to sin. 
So make sure that you learn the strategies of the evil one. Make sure you learn how Satan is seeking to ruin and destroy your life. All you have to do is rely upon God and ask God to search you, ask God to try you, so that you can have your eyes open to the strategies that Satan uses in your life regularly. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you might indeed impress upon our hearts and our minds that there's a war going on. There's a battle going on between you and Satan. We know the end of the story. We know that you are greater, that Satan is no match, but there's still a conflict going on until that time when he's thrown into the lake of fire and he will never, ever again bother the people of God. But in the meantime, Father, we are involved in a war, a spiritual war, an invisible war, a war where Satan and his demonic beings seek to cause us to fall instead of stand, seek to cause us to falter instead of being forceful in Christ. God, we need your grace. We need your mercy. We need especially for you to open up the word of God and for us to take it seriously and to live by what thus saith the Lord. The Father, help us to be spiritually strengthened and to be spiritually armed in light of the times in which we are living. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.